I know the leagues. I know the teams. I know these players. I know this wonderful game called football. It's time for Value Bet. Oh, this is when the cream rises to the top. This is when things get up. The largest sports wagering angles you need to know. Stats, records, rankings, weather. If the goalpost is tilted just a little bit. Value Bet on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. You can bet your children's unborn children's children on these six games. Value Bet. This is America's premier sports information program. Here's Jonathan Hood. It's time for Value Bet with me, Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. We're trying to put money in your pocket every week. You guys know that I'm a huge college football fan and man. Conference championships are on the line. And some of the biggest and the smallest conferences around college football. A big college football weekend. I'm a big Georgia fan. And I cannot wait to see what happens with Georgia against Alabama for the SEC championship game. I can't wait to see what happens with Baylor and Oklahoma State. I can't wait to see what happens in the ACC. A little Wake Forest, a little Pittsburgh. Can't wait to see what happens with Michigan and Iowa. All part of our value bet segment we do with Gary Seegers. Gary from winningcureseverything.com. Follow him on Twitter at GaryWCE. And, of course, value bet is brought to you by DraftKings. Think about it. For the NFL this upcoming Sunday or the college football championships, they're going to take place all over the country. Go to DraftKings, DraftKings.com. And, of course, you can download the DraftKings app. And, boy, they always get special features on there for you to put money in your pocket. First half bets, second half bets. Man, just all these different things that you could do with the college football on Saturday and the NFL on Sunday. Man, I can't wait. It's going to be so much good football, and I always watch my football with DraftKings on my lap. Literally on my lap, on my phone, DraftKings. Download it and use the promo code WMVP. WMVP for DraftKings. We're going to call Gary Seegers. We'll go down to Memphis, Tennessee and hear from Gary, get his thoughts about four big games in college football, including one big game that he's going to pick in the NFL right here on Value Bet. And there he is, our friends, Gary Seegers from winningcureseverything.com. As we have our conversation, go to the website, winningcureseverything.com, or follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWCE for Winning Cures Everything. He joins us here on Value Bet with Jonathan Hood. Hello, Gary. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? I'm well. Uh, Tell me about your Thanksgiving. How was it? It was fantastic. It was everything I could have dreamed it would be. Very little cell phone service, uh-huh. uh, so that worked out well. I did get to watch a lot of football, and uh, and all of those different sides that we discussed last week, I got to enjoy all of them. Every, every all dough. of them, huh? <laughs> oh, I ate so much food for, and and we just got done uh, with the turkey, I believe, yesterday. So yeah, I mean we we've been rocking and rolling this thing. I've had turkey sandwiches and turkey salad and all, all kind of stuff. I'm I have taken care. of 
of the leftovers, my friend. So you and I are on the same accord when you when people say, well, once you've had Thanksgiving dinner and you put it in the fridge, you don't want it again. I don't think that's true because there's always different ways to be able to mold and shape that dinner into something special for lunch or for dinner or anything else. So I think that we're just about done with the ham and I think the turkey is going to be done here this weekend with the games. And then, so, you know, it's it's been a win-win for me. There's always something from Thanksgiving that you could chomp on. Oh, you have got that right. I mean, the, the mac and cheese lasted a while. We had a ton of that. We had uh, the green bean casserole, the sweet potato casserole, the dressing and uh, and stuffing, which I think are technically the same thing, at least the way that we made it. Of course. Um, I, I say we, my, my wife and her mother. Um, but with the cranberry sauce and all that stuff mixed all together, it's it's just it's fantastic. Unbelievable. Gary, i got to ask you about some of these coaching changes, but the first thing – is that there's a brand new coach at LSU, and his name is Brian Kelly. Or I think it's Brian, is it Billy Bob Brian Kelly? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> can, can I just tell you how fucking embarrassing that is? I mean, honest to God, man. We talked about it on Friday morning, uh, David Kaplan and I on Cap and J. Hood. Gary, now listen. Dude, you're from Massachusetts, right? I, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm, it's, it's a funny bit for sure, but also, but also, I'm very disappointed and kind of irked. Right? If I'm well, from yeah. if I'm from Baton Rouge, I'm like, why are you talking like that to me? Knowing that when you just had your press conference two weeks ago in South Bend, in which I saw it, you said family like a Midwesterner family. You get to LSU, me and my family. Wait, like what? Uh, what? What is that? I will. I will explain this a little bit uh, because my. My wife has uh, dabbled in psychology and, and all this different stuff, and I have noticed it myself. Uh, the further south that I go and the people that I'm around, my southern accent tends to come out a little more when I'm around those people than when I'm around other people, and it is called code switching. Uh-huh. Right? This is something that uh, is almost uncontrollable, but – yeah, I'm I'm with you. That seemed a little bit of a stretch. I don't I don't think that this was coach switching. I think this was he needed to sound endearing to that crowd. And I don't think that was the way that you go about doing it. If you just talk about winning football games, you are going to be perfectly fine in front of a basketball crowd down at LSU. Like the, the thing that irks me the most is quit calling it Louisiana State University. It is LSU, and that's what everybody down there knows it as. You ain't got to stretch this thing out. Like it, it's, it, But yes, the code switching thing is a real thing, and he may not have meant to do it, but man, I would not have wanted that video out there. No, no. I mean, come on, Gary. I mean, just, man, you, you were just, you've been there for a cup of coffee. So all of a sudden now you're going to switch it just because you feel like, well, I'm going to make the crowd comfortable, so I'm going to switch right into sound like Joel Osteen. You just, you, you can't do that. That's not right. No, no. and it, it, it turns people off a lot more than it endears you to them. So uh, I, I don't know what the, what the plan was with that, but I do know that it didn't work. Like it, it, it has not worked for anything, and they were already feasting on him regardless right just the way that everything went down uh and chris and i talked on the winning cures everything show uh, this morning on friday morning about what what the difference is in the media coverage between college football coaches uh leaving certain places right and it, it all depends on whether or not the media likes certain coaches and brian kelly has just never been liked like he's but 
that doesn't necessarily mean anything in the as far as the long term ramifications of whether or not he's going to win, right? And nobody liked Nick Saban either, <laughs> but when you win, you win. So if Brian Kelly can create a program there where he can win, well, he's going to be fine. And and you win three or four national championships, or even just one or two. And the media will be on your side, and you don't have anything to worry about as we look at Nick Saban now, right? He's got all of his commercials. He always goes on ESPN. Mm-hmm. He smiles when he needs to. Uh, but he was not liked by a large, large majority of people before he started winning titles and became, you know, the biggest name in the sport. So uh, Brian Kelly can get back out of this, but eh, it, it's a questionable way to start your tenure in Baton Rouge. So if he, so if he would have taken the job. That might be opening at Miami, so he'd call everybody bro. Is that what that would happen if he's in Miami or have a really relaxed accent if he was taking a USC job? It just You just can't be a chameleon. I understand that there is a term for that, but that's just bullshit, man. That's wrong, man. I, saw, I, just, that's I saw a wrong. meme about that, actually, where if he had taken the Miami job, uh, he would have actually been talking about uh, La Familia. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Broken English and bro. Oh, yes. That's what he would have uh, done in recruiting in yeah, nightclubs. It, it's irritating. Hey, are you seeing all of these rumors, which, uh, I mean, who knows what might happen, you know, between the time that we're recording this and, and whenever it comes out. But uh, but Miami, even without an AD, appears to be getting ready to put forth a major league offer towards Mario Cristobal. So and I, I have found that interesting. So, <laughs> so, so he has ties to Miami. His mother is in Miami. Um, yeah, so, so the, so the ties are there, um, the coach in place, they thought that that was going to be able to work out and it just has not. Um, and and, you know, Gary, it's a longer conversation that you and I could have, but across this country, and I know that you get this on your social media as well, the feeling of teams that were good in say the nineties, maybe even even early two thousands feel like they should stake a claim for the national title every single year. Um, the, the idea that Nebraska fans and God bless them basketball and football, they sell out every game they're into it, but I mean, they're not turning that corner anytime soon. Notre Dame fans. There's a number of other ones over the years where they felt like Miami, you throw them in at Florida state, they feel they should be in the mix. And I got that, but things have changed, man. I mean, it's not the same as it was in your heyday of the eighties and the nineties. Um, so I find that interesting, you know, I, I think that Nebraska and Miami for the most part, I, I think that they understand that the expectations are different now than they used to be. I don't think that they're clamoring for national titles. I think they are clamoring to compete in the conferences in which they reside, right? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest issue is they have not even been competitive. I think Miami has made, what, one ACC title game? Yes. That is absurd. They should never be in that position. So I I can understand where they're coming from where, you know, you just want to be able to compete in the conference. And and I don't think that that's an unrealistic expectation. So I, it, would you like to be in the national title race? Yes, yes. sure. They were there a couple of years ago with uh, with Mark Rick, but but everybody knew that they weren't going to win it. Like they were they were at least in the conversation, and that's what they were hoping for. Um, but alas, you know, they brought in Manny Diaz. They thought it was going to go well, and three years in, they do not feel as good about it now. Of course, uh, you've got people jumping ship. Rhett Lashley, which who can blame him for taking the SMU job? Uh, that's a head coaching job compared to being an offensive coordinator for what could be a lame duck situation if you know Manny gets let go uh, or if he gets uh, if he gets to stay around for a year. But either way, I, neither one of those schools 
I think has uh, I don't think it's unreasonable for them to want to be competitive and and they can be you just got to get the right guy in there uh, so Marcus Freeman takes over at Notre Dame. I saw the video um, hours ago of how the team reacted, that the defensive coordinator now is the head coach. I mean, I, I look at it two ways, Gary. It's it's cheaper instead of one of these other blue blood coaches to be in that spot for Notre Dame. And also it can inject some new leadership and energy into Notre Dame with Freeman as the head coach. This might be transitional, but it's up to Freeman and his staff to be able to make sure it's not a transitional move. No, you are correct about that. I The initial reaction for me was, eh, okay, is this a reactionary hire uh, where you don't want these guys to go to LSU with Brian Kelly? Or is this really who you think is going to be the next Notre Dame, you know, longtime head coach? And I do think that Freeman has a good opportunity to do that, but also think that this was a package deal. I think if if Freeman could not have kept Tommy Reese on, and a bunch of those position guys, I don't know that they give him the job. But I also think because of the way that the organization has been built, right, the the foundation was laid, and what Brian Kelly was able to bring in has been incredibly successful, and they think that they can get to the next level. And who am I to doubt them, right? You look at the recruiting class that they got coming in, like it's, it's really good. It's a top five class right now. There's still a lot of time left, but – if you look at the type of class that they've got, you got you got two top 100 guys on their commit list right now. Down at LSU, other places like that, you're getting seven, eight top 100 guys. It's a different level. So I, I do think that they can find a way to get there. Um, maybe Marcus Freeman will be the guy. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens because I love that they that they gave him the gig. I think he's going to do wonders there, um, but. I mean, obviously, I, I try not to rank head coaching hires anymore mm-hmm. because who knows how they're going to turn out. The, the home runs that I thought people had hit before have not panned out. So now I'm just sitting around and waiting. I thought Sam Pittman was a ridiculous hire for Arkansas, and, uh, and that one has turned out pretty well. So, so we'll see what ends up happening with this. But I do think it was worth taking a shot on. Uh, don't overspend. Don't do anything crazy. And, and go with a guy that is already running a system that you know works. Ever see a head coach not fired, uh, did not quit, and all of a sudden just appears at the USC job? I mean, that, that, the first thing I saw was that he took the USC job. Was there an e- Was there a text? Was there a tweet? All of a sudden he just appears. Like, what, what happened there? That was so quick. Was, How swift was so that? I had been told that there was nothing to the Lane, uh, sorry, the Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Riley stuff in Baton Rouge, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd been told that a long time ago, but I, you know, you keep hearing it, you keep hearing it, and you got to wonder, like, well, maybe I'm being smokescreened. Like, maybe there's something, you know, between my intel and, and everybody else. And it turned out it was 100% right. What he did on Saturday night after Bedlam was absolute genius smokescreen because nobody saw it coming. It gave him time to get this stuff figured out. He did the whole, I will not be the next coach at LSU. And then he told the reporter, next question. And nobody even bothered to ask yes. about USC. But but when you look at the situation, USC and what they can be is exactly what Oklahoma was in the Big 12 before they announced they were moving to the SEC. Like I, I'm not going to say that Lincoln didn't want the smoke in the SEC and all that. Truth of the matter is, it is a lot more difficult to win in the SEC 
then it will be in the Pac-12. When USC is rolling, there is not a single program out there that can touch them. And if he can roll it, I don't know that you could have a better hire if you're USC. And this was a perfect hire because he brings a fun offense. He's got Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks that he's coached. It's an NFL kind of town. But when you get USC rolling, that fan base is all over it. So I, I think it was genius both for him and for USC. It's it's a perfect match that, honestly, I don't know how many people really gave it a whole lot of thought. It, it all depended on whether or not USC was going to be willing to invest the things necessary to have a monster program. And it certainly appears that Mike Bone and that bunch out there are doing that. So if, if they are ready to play big boy ball, uh, that is a scary, scary proposition going forward for the Pac-12 and a lot of these blue bloods across the country. For all you single men and single ladies out there, just keep in mind, find someone like Bob Stoops loves uh, uh, Oklahoma. Find someone to, to love like Bob Stoops loves Oklahoma. Like so, So with that... With Riley going to USC, Stoops says, "Yeah, I'll help you out. I'll help you. I'll help you recruit. I'll coach your bowl game, which is just amazing, right? I mean, that's. I mean, that's oh, so yeah. Billy Alvarez in a lot of ways, isn't it? Or, I'm sorry, not Billy Alvarez. Very, very Barry Alvarez, Alvarez. Yeah. very much so. <laughs> very much so. It's a. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, look, there's one thing, and we saw this with Urban Meyer, right? It, it's a really cush job to sit and do TV and hang out and, and whatever. Um, but you still got that competitive fire. You know, if, if you've been a head ball coach for a long time, you just know that you want to get back out there and win one more. You know, and, and Oklahoma's going to be in a bowl game, and he wants to go out and coach the bowl game and get back on the recruiting trail. But I don't think he wants to do this long term. I don't think he's going to be the next guy. I've, no. I have heard that it is Venables um, and that they are working through the process, looking at everybody else. But for the most part, it's pretty understood in Norman that it's going to be Brent Venables. And we'll just get there when we get there. But everybody, they're going to do their due diligence, which they should. And then eventually they will get to that point from what I am hearing. But obviously with these things, I mean, you never know what happens if, if he ends up wanting too much or uh, they tell him that he can't hire certain people or whatever. Anything can change anything. But but that's that's the intel that I've got. Like, I don't think Bob Stoops is going to do this longer than just this one month mm-hmm. uh, because that's really all that they've signed him up for, right? The the board of trustees or the board of regents, whichever, whichever one they call it at Oklahoma, uh, they gave him a $325,000 contract for like one month of work. So it's between yeah. now and January. And, uh, and he's going to go out and recruit and do his thing and – Talk about how much he loves Oklahoma, and then he'll get back to slinging tequila. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's for sure. You got that right. So you heard it here first from Gary Seegers, Dan Mullen, to the SEC Network. All right. <laughs> so let's take a look at the game. <laughs> his his name's not hot anywhere. Where's his name? Not hot at all. I think I think it could show up in uh, some of these G five jobs, but it really just depends on whether or not uh, Mullen wants to you know go the coordinator route again, or if he wants to. I mean, he's been head coach for, what, 11 seasons now, I believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think 2010 is when he came into Mississippi State. So mm-hmm. he's uh, he's been a head guy for a while. If he wants to go back and, I mean, it, he could end up doing the whole save and rehab tour. He could do any number uh. of different things. Or he could just go to the NFL as an offensive coordinator. Uh, I would not see that as being uh, out of the realm of possibilities. But, you know, there are some really fascinating G5 jobs that are open and, and we'll see. I mean, Louisiana, Billy Napier just took the Florida job. But what about a swap for that? I mean, that could end up being a lot of fun. Sure. Um, but there's, there's a lot of other ones. Uh, Troy just got filled 
by a Kentucky assistant. But uh, looking at them, I mean, you got Colorado State, uh, which Jim McElwain was highly successful out there. Uh, Florida International is open, but obviously <laughs> Butch, uh, Butch Davis took a blowtorch to that program oh, when he left. Uh, Temple, I mean, remember, Dan Mullen is – uh, what an Ohio guy or a, a Pennsylvania guy? Mm-hmm. I, I could see him at Temple. Like, there's a lot of different spots where you could possibly see him going, and there's going to be more open. I mean, this is not even close to the end of the coaching carousel. Uh, Dan Mullen will be somewhere next year. All right, my friends, let's take a look at the games here for this uh, championship weekend. So excited! So excited! So this is perfect because Gary is a Alabama fan and I'm a Georgia fan, and, and Georgia is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, just besides the um, point spread and the totals and where the money's gone, I'm scared to death of this game, and I know that you have talked about Alabama many times on Winning Cures Everything where you're not happy with it, you don't think this program's very good this year, and all I know is that Alabama has been the hammer and Georgia's been the nail for a long time. So... How do you see this matchup? Before you get to the numbers, just you as a fan, what do you think of Alabama's chances? I think that I have already given out Georgia as an official play on the Bet U.S. College Football Show. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't matter what the numbers say or anything else. There is a sizable mismatch on the line of scrimmage here that Alabama's not going to be able to overcome. And if you can tell me who's going to play running back for Alabama, I would love to know. I, I think it's going to be Trey Sanders because that's the only one that they got left. They got five scholarship running backs, and four of them are hurt. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr., they're saying that there's a ch- he's day-to-day, it's whatever. Look, he pulled a hamstring last week. Like At best, he's going to be 50%. Like There is no chance here. The only prayer is that Georgia has not seen wide receivers like Alabama will have, and basically you just bring in max protection, you bring in – seven, eight guys to block, and you just run two post guys. That, that's it. That's the only way for me uh, seeing Alabama being able to score on this defense. I just I do not see it at all. I, yeah, we can talk about all the different numbers, it, it, but this is – Georgia still is the underdog here, right? Even though the numbers say yes. that they are favored by six and a half, that football program looks at this as we have to beat these guys. And so they are looking at it as we hadn't gotten this done before – we need to go in and knock it out now. And they've been in prime position multiple times. I, I do worry about this, and I'm sure you said you're scared of this one. Are you more scared of the fact that Kirby Smart has sometimes made questionable decisions in big-time spots like this? That's correct. I don't know if he's matured, but we're going to find out in this game, won't we? Because that's my whole concern. You don't need razzle-dazzle any trick plays against Alabama. If you believe in your team, you will line up and you will take them head on. The, the, the defense has been so good this year that you should be able to get after a rickety Alabama offensive line and be able to do a lot of the things that Auburn did in the Iron Bowl. That's how I look at it. Now, the other thing is that I'm afraid about this game, and, and this is the trick here, right? Gary, when you just kick walk through your schedule like it's nothing and you never have any adversity, you don't have any issues, that's also a problem because, again, we're talking about kids 18 to 22, 23 years of age that think that everything is easy and it's not. 
And so it's too bad. Like I didn't want I didn't want my team to lose at any point. But when your biggest challenge is Clemson early, in which we didn't know what Clemson was, and then you kickwalk through the schedule, that means you're not battle tested. Even Alabama with a with a loss and also a tough game against Auburn. To me, they have been through the rigors of like, hey, we may not be very good. We know what our issues are, but maybe we can get this win. So I, I that that's that's my concern. You brought that up, and, and that is a very interesting point. Bill Connolly over at ESPN put out an incredible stat here. Georgia only has six second-half drives all season with a margin of uh, – a lead of less than 14 points, right? Mm-hmm. So they have not been in a position where they had to have a stop or they had to have a score or anything like that. Five of those were against Clemson in game one. So that it, from, from week two – all the way through the rest of the season, they had one second-half drive where they were not up by two touchdowns. Alabama, in that same regard, has had the fourth least, but they've had 33 in that situation. So, yes, as far as battle-tested, yes, Alabama has been there. They have been through the adversity. They understand what it takes and whatnot. But Georgia is just such a significantly more dominant football team than anything Alabama has faced thus far. I, I just don't see it. Like you can, you can find numbers. Uh, Parker that I that I work with, uh, Parker Fleming, and for anybody that wants to go look, he's got incredible preview stats on Twitter. It's at Stats of War. Um, but if you look at his numbers, it actually shows Alabama as as being favored by like point two points. But a lot of this is because you can't properly gauge exactly what George is. His stats drop out garbage time. You can't figure out exactly what Georgia is because they haven't been in a tough game. That's right. Basically all season. That's right. So if we if we do get to a point where it comes down to who has been there before, then yeah, Alabama's got a little bit of a uh, of an advantage. But I I don't know how they protect Bryce Young. I got no idea. So yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm rolling Georgia on this one. Like I. I'm not scared. I'm not anything on that as far as being an Alabama fan. If Alabama finds a way to win, it will be an absolute miracle, and it will be stupid. And I, I won't chalk it up to anything more than, well, then Kirby Smart must have made mistakes. That's that's all it is. And and we'll see you in the national championship game with your two losses. All right. So, that <laughs> by the way, uh, it's been 91 games since Alabama was an underdog. Uh, that's been a long time. That's 2015, I believe. Last time yeah, that they were an underdog. Uh, yeah, the, the so. underdog. Uh, the last time they were an underdog, of course, uh, was against Georgia. Yes. See. So, yeah, <laughs> a one, a one point dog in uh, in Alabama won 38 to 10. Yes. One, so. Do you understand why I'm shivering under the covers about this yeah, one? Okay. Yeah, you do know uh, the last time that Georgia beat Alabama, right? That was a uh, 2007. That was Saban's first season. Yeah. So six straight, but. Uh, but under Kirby Smart, I mean, it's been close. Like it's the two teams are one, one, and one against the spread against each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think this is the year where they finally get over the hump. Um, I, I think everybody plays into this whole Nick Saban smiling after the Iron Bowl, and he's been smiling more with this team, and blah 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 blah. And the fact of the matter is. I think he just knows that this team is not very good, and the fact that they made it to eleven and one and got to Atlanta is a victory in and of itself. 
Right. I uh, I just like the agonizing look on Saban, and then here comes Miss Terry, his wife, and all of a sudden the smile. Oh, hey, honey, hi. Like, yeah, yeah. He's he was pretty pissed off until Miss Terry gave him a big hug. Says it's okay. On to the next game. Um, you saw the video from the uh, from the locker room, right? Yes. So he and all yes. the players are dancing around, smiling. You know, they're playing music and whatnot. It's it was a reason to celebrate. Absolutely reason to celebrate. Hey, another uh, another key factor in this game. Mm. Uh, one team is significantly more disciplined than the other, and that would be the Georgia Bulldogs. They are number 12 in the country in penalty yards per game. Alabama's number 107. So pay attention to that because uh, Alabama just cannot keep from making mistakes. So you like Joe Georgia and the 6.5, or would you do anything with the total at 49.5? I am not going to play the total. Uh, if I had to lean one way, it would be the under. But Alabama-Georgia overs are 8-1 and one since 2002. Like, the over has gone over. Like, it, it's hit over a ton. Mm. It, almost, it almost makes no sense. So I'm not going to touch the total on it. Uh, but I do like Georgia minus 6.5. I, I, uh, I think they're going to put them behind the woodshed pretty easily. Michigan against Iowa in the Big Ten title game. Michigan a ten and a half point favorite. The over under is forty three and a half. How do you see this one? So, I didn't make an official play on this. Uh, my buddy Parker likes Michigan a lot at minus eleven. I look at this. I, I do like a team total here, and I'm going to roll Iowa under sixteen and a half. Mm-hmm. Iowa generates points based off of turnovers. If you look at Iowa in the nine games outside of. Uh, gosh, what was it? Indiana, Maryland, and somebody else. Iowa State. Uh, they're actually only plus three in turnover margin this season. And if you're not going to get Michigan to turn the football over, I don't think you're going to be able to score. So I, I do like Michigan to win this game because I don't think they're going to make the, the same Jim Harbaugh-esque mistakes that they have typically done. They look like they've gotten past that. And I don't think they're going to need to do anything risky to be able to win this football game. I was really good on defense, but they're not as good as Michigan is, and that Iowa offense is putrid. They cannot score if you don't give them points. So I don't think that Michigan is going to give them interceptions and fumbles and and all that kind of stuff, any kind of weird special team stuff. So I I lean Michigan being able to cover the eleven, um, but I'm I'm not playing it. It's not going to be an official bet. My official one on this is actually Iowa team total. Under 16 and a half. I just don't find a way for them to score here. Okay. So, Gary, Michigan defeats Ohio State, and here's the Big Ten Championship. Does Michigan consider they win against Ohio the Big Ten Championship? And that's why I'm wondering about this number. Like, Michigan's a better football team. I think it's very clear. I just want to know whether or not Michigan feels so good about the Ohio State game that they let down a little bit in this game. I'm just trying to see if I can sway you to make that plus 11. So so here's my – I've been going over this all week, and I've, I've talked to a couple guys on different coaching staffs and whatnot, and the truth of the matter is – you play to go win a championship. Sure. Right? So there is there is rarely an example of a team that coming off of a massive, massive win like that that you wouldn't expect having a letdown the next week in a championship spot. If this was middle of the season against a team that uh, you don't really feel like you have to prep for, et cetera, et cetera, then that's one thing. But this is going to be in a neutral site for a championship 
I don't think we're going to have any kind of a hangover effect. Uh, you can look back at you know 2013 Auburn and that kick six that they had against Alabama. Mm-hmm. They went the next week and just handled business against a, a pretty good Missouri team. But are you going to be as up to play against Missouri as you were uh, to play against Alabama? No. And it's kind of the same situation here. Is Michigan going to be as up to play Iowa as they were to play Ohio State? No. But that doesn't mean that they are not significantly better than Iowa. Uh, it, I mean, it took a lot to happen for Iowa to even be in this position. Uh, their offense is putrid. I mean, you look at Iowa's numbers, number 111 in offensive success rate. They are number 125 in the country in offensive points per scoring opportunity. That's drives inside the 40. They can't finish drives. They rarely even get to the opponent's 40 when they have to make a long drive. I, I don't see any way for them to really compete in this ballgame. All right, Pittsburgh takes on Wake Forest. Pitt is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, the over-under is 71. So what, how do you see this one? Oh, what a fun ball game. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I am uh, I am going to ride Pitt's team total. Right now it's sitting at 37. I'm going to go over that. Uh, when you look at the other side, Wake Forest team total is 35. Yes. I'm going to stay away from the, from the over on the game. That's certainly the way that I would lean. I would certainly lean Pitt as well. But I've seen Wake Forest do some crazy things. Pitt's defense really gets after the quarterback. They're number four in defensive adjusted sack rate. I, I I just don't know what Wake can do to slow down Pitt. You know, you kind of feel the same way on this? I do, actually. I do. So I, I look at it, and I'm, I, I'm looking through the numbers now. Mm-hmm. Sam Hartman is is really really good, but he has not been uncomfortable a lot right. this season. Right. The only team that really gave him problems was uh, Clemson. And no, the Pitt defense is not the same as Clemson. However, I just I, I think that Pitt can get after them enough to slow them down. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Wake Forest has anything on defense that can slow down Kenny Pickett. So I, you know, Addison, the wide receiver, like those guys, I, I really feel good about Pitt uh, going over the thirty-seven, and I do think that Pat Narduzzi and that bunch are going to get an ACC championship, which is almost unbelievable. I would yeah. have never imagined that this season, right? We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, I believe. And how much money would you have been able to earn off betting that? Neither North Carolina, Miami, or Clemson was going to be in the ACC title game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did. I didn't expect the letdown. Well, the way that Clemson played. Uh, so that's why that I find that interesting. That'd be a nice bet, actually. Those three teams. Oh yeah, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. So, so, so I, I feel. But you know what, Gary? I I like. But because of the numbers in front of me, I feel like the overs in play. I do. I, I mean, yes, the over is certainly in play sure. because you would like to think that Wake Forest is going to be able to score on base, and they've done it all year long. They have scored on everybody. Right. I, I just wonder about Pitt, right? <laughs> Pitt being able to slow down that Wake Forest offense. I I look at some of these defensive numbers, and you know, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a world where Pitt actually reaches this total by themselves because that's how bad that Wake Forest defense is. Right. Okay. But again, you know, you start looking at some of these other numbers. Turnover margin, Wake is number six. Pitt is number 43, so there's an advantage for the Demon Deacons there. Uh, penalty yards per game, 
Pitt is number 115. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're aggressive, so of course you're going to get more penalties that way. Uh, but if they are giving, if they're giving the ball away the same way they did against Miami, then yeah, Wake can absolutely stay in this game. And yeah, I would, I would certainly lean the over. Um, but you know, if they, if they start to make Sam Hartman really uncomfortable, there's a world where Wake doesn't quite get to uh, 35 points here. So. You know, I would I would go pit over thirty seven for the team total, yeah. and I would certainly lean over seventy one and a half for the game because I do think it's going to be a lot of points. I agree with you that Wake Forest can't stop anybody, but I just feel like we could be seeing ourselves with a Wake Forest NC State type of battle from like two or three weeks ago. I I don't know. Oh yeah, we'll see. I just oh yeah. I just think that there's a reason why that number is that way. And, and, of course, the credo on value bet, as you've coined several weeks ago, unders are not fun. Baylor. Unders are not fun. I'm going to bet the under. Let's see what happens. Hopefully it stays under. Well, that sucks. Um, Baylor against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's a five-and-a-half-point favorite, the over-under 46. How do you see this uh, Big 12 championship game? So I did make this an official play on the Bet U.S. College Football Show, and I'm going to ride with Cowboys at minus five and a half. And my biggest reasoning for that is the quarterback situation at Baylor, right? And now both of these teams, they played each other before this season. They played in Stillwater, 24-14 win. Uh, Baylor was held scoreless in the first half in that game. I do think that Jeff Grimes will have some new wrinkles up his sleeve for Jim Knowles and that defense over with the Cowboys, but I, I really think that this Oklahoma State defense is going to be shut – they're going to be able to shut down anything mm-hmm. that Baylor tosses at them, especially because if you bring in a backup quarterback that Oklahoma State now has uh, game tape on, they're going to be able to shut that down. If you bring in a hobbled quarterback that's got hamstring issues with Jerry Bohannon, uh, yeah, they're going to be able to shut that down as well. Remember, Jerry Bohannon is – Good because he's elusive, because he's able to be mobile and he can get out of the pocket, etc. But if you got a pulled hamstring, that makes that a lot more difficult to do it. I, I don't know how Baylor scores enough points to be able to stay in this game. Now, I do think that Baylor's defense will be able to slow down Oklahoma State as well. Uh, we've all seen what Dave Aranda is capable of doing. But I, I lean more Oklahoma State here. I'm, this is the same situation that we've got with Michigan, right? Is this a hangover spot? They finally got the win over Oklahoma in Bedlam. You know, can you get yourself back up? And it's a championship setting. And this is a team that they've already beat. And you have got some old guys on that defense for Oklahoma State that play incredibly fundamentally sound defense. And I love it. And I'm going to ride all the way to the bank with them. Uh, This is an interesting stat, by the way, uh, that my buddy Felica gave to me. Since 2014... There are 24 conference title favorites in the P5 and the AAC of four or more points, and they are 23-1 and one straight up. I don't think we're going to see a bunch of upsets here. This is – the better team is typically the better team in these situations. There's no look ahead. There's no hangover. It is go out and get a championship, and I think that's what the Cowboys are going to do. Yeah, I believe so. It's almost a layoff for me because I think – I don't see the, a major value in this, except maybe a first half, second half bet. That means I have to be watching the game very closely to, for that to happen. So Oklahoma State, I believe, rolls in this game as well. What is your NFL game of your choice, Gary Seegers? I am going to Monday night. Oh. I, oh, yes. I am going to ride with the New England Patriots against the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are one of those incredibly volatile teams 
There's a lot of variance. There's a lot of you never know which team you're going to get. And it seems to me that they have needed a lot of help with turnovers. A lot of these games where they have just blown teams out, they've been able to get interceptions and stuff that's just kind of given to them. Now, they they do help create some of that themselves as well. Uh, This is not to take away from what they've done. But I think you give me the better head coach with the better quarterback and the better defense. And and I'm going to take that every time. I don't care if they're on the road or not. And this season, uh, the road teams actually have a higher winning percentage than the home teams do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the home teams have been turning the ball over more at home than road teams have. So I, I'm very it, – it's strange the way that the season is playing out thus far. But, you know, you start to look at some of these numbers, and, and these are two incredibly evenly matched teams. Like, it, it's it's 1A and 1B. New England is number two in total DVOA. Buffalo is number three, which is basically just uh, an efficiency metric. Uh, the New England offense is number 11 against uh, Buffalo's defense, which is number one in efficiency. And then you got Buffalo's offense, which is number 16, going against the number two uh, defensive efficiency team. And New England's got a special teams advantage. They're number three in special teams efficiency. Buffalo's number 14. Uh, overall... The Patriots are just a better team. They are on a roll right now. I don't think it stops. I think this is a personal game for the Patriots uh, because of what the Bills were able to do by winning that division last year. I think the Patriots get it back this season. That is my radio partners. You're breaking his heart right there. David Kaplan's got like a four-digit play on Buffalo to win the Super Bowl to start the season. I said, yeah, you know what? That's not going to happen, brother. <laughs> I don't. Nope. I don't think nope. that's not going to happen now. I mean, it. It was a nice play in July. I said, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think the Patriots roll. I have it here at two and a half. You might have it as more over under forty two and a half for this one. I like the Patriots on the money line. I like them to cover the two and a half. Do you have it at three? Uh, I've actually so I've got it at two and a half right now, but I did bet it at three when it came out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. but also bet money line as well. So I. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got all kind of bets on this one. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm good to go on it. Yeah, so that was the, that's the Monday night game. Keep your eyes on that. If I go to winningcureseverything.com, what would I find, Gary? Oh, the same thing you would find every week. All the different shows that we do, the podcast, the ways that you can connect with us, of course, uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Twitch, etc. There's a lot of different ways that you can consume the product, and it's all found right over at winningcureseverything.com. Best way to find us, of course, uh, just find me on Twitter at Gary WCE. I respond to all the DMs. I leave my DMs open sometimes. I feel like that's a mistake, but uh, <laughs> but I get some good conversation in there from time to time. So Hold if on. people want to reach out, you can certainly do that at Gary WCE. I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask you: Has your co-host Chris has he commented openly on the show about the LSU hire Brian Kelly? Oh yes, yes. This week we have had multiple conversations about it. Uh-huh. He does not like the uh, the media narrative that is being driven about the way that Brian Kelly left and him quitting on the team and all that good stuff. Because is there really a good way to leave? But also, uh, he was pretty excited about it. He just wanted somebody in that role that was not looked at as a buffoon. And and I think that Brian Kelly brings that there. Right? It's yeah. it's a very calculated Nick Saban kind of hire. Uh, it's not necessarily somebody that's going to fit in culturally, but you don't need somebody to fit in culturally. You just need somebody that knows how to win football games. And Brian Kelly has shown that at every different level that he's coached. You know, when Brian Kelly spoke in a Midwestern accent, I remember him saying that, you know, he understands who he is. He says, you know, I know what I am. 
I'm the winningest, one of the winningest head coaches in Notre Dame history without winning a national championship. He said that openly. Like, he was just right between the eyes to the, the Irish media saying, yeah, I know. I know I haven't won a national championship, but I got all these wins. To the point where, even though, and we went through this a couple of days ago on ESPN Chicago, Gary, I, I'm not even sure if, I'm not sure if Kelly makes the, the Mount Rushmore of coaches for the Irish. We went through it, like the Leahy's and the Holtz and Dan Devines, guys like that. There's been multiple coaches that have won championships uh, and no, you know, but Kelly has not. So it's interesting. Like he's a great coach as far as wins, but again, the championship does matter still in South Bend. Oh, it certainly does. It's a, and, and you know this as well as anybody that uh, the game has shifted and it's, it's not as easy to win at Notre Dame as it used to be. Um, but with that said, he is the winningest coach as far as wins in Notre Dame history. Uh, and he's right. No, he hadn't won a championship. And I, I think that's part of the reason why he was looking to go to LSU uh, or elsewhere. I mean, there were talks about him going to Florida and wherever else. But he ends up at LSU, and it, I think he's got what it takes to be able to win a championship. But obviously we will see it. He hasn't always necessarily had all the pieces. Uh, the best team that he ever had that, that really could have competed for a championship was, what, that 2015 team? Yes. And and they had, like, Brian Van Gorder as, as the defense coordinator. That's right. And just wasted it. Like, lost two games. Uh, it was to Stanford and uh, Clemson that season. Lost two games by two points each. And should have been playing for a national title. But, you know, it's just a, a bad hire one way or the other, and, and it all goes to waste. But that was... That was certainly the most talented team that they've had there. So he can he can get it done if he makes the right hires and whatnot. And I'm trusting that he that he can. But uh, yeah, I mean he's not wrong. Winning his coach in, in Notre Dame history, but no national title. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean he's told the truth. So keep in mind that Gary's DMs are open at Gary WCE, and my my text messages are open to you. You want so while we at three o'clock when this game goes forward with UGA and Alabama. I look forward to getting your thoughts as the game moves forward. Uh, you uh, you would have enjoyed getting my text messages after the Iron Bowl on Saturday. <laughs> because, uh, of course, the way that the game ends, everybody wants to text me. And my response, I just copied and pasted to everybody. I told them all, I hate this football team. And that is in regards to Alabama. <laughs> yeah well i understand well you know what we'll see what happens on saturday it should be a lot of fun as always my friend i appreciate it thanks for coming on the show oh the pleasure is always mine i appreciate you